journeying along here in John chapter 6 now, as we consider where we're heading into in our time together today, there has been a lot that has happened leading up to that 60th verse that we covered just last week, right? So as we catch ourselves up to our text, as we prepare for our time together this morning in God's Word, we need to factor in a lot of things, right? Last week, as you'll remember, we discussed verse 60, and we talked about not doubting the Holy Spirit, getting used to the gut feeling when he gives us those things within our senses to be able to see things, not to coerce people or feel like we have to nag them or continually get on them to give us attention or to care for us or to pay attention to our needs, and really just coming to a place of acceptance within our own selves where we don't walk around insecure thinking it's always an us issue. So Jesus here on his ministry, in his journey, has performed a lot of miracles. There's a lot of people following him at this point, and people think he's awesome. So much so that they want to king him, right? We want to seize him. We want to take him by force. We want to make him our ruler, our king. Why? Because he can feed us when we're hungry. Our bellies, we were starving, and he took a fish, and he took some loaves, and he made all these double filet of fish, extra curly fries, whatever, and everybody is just tickled to death in their flesh. The bandwagon has wagoned around Jesus, and they're all about him. Be our king, be our leader, do all these things because we like what you can do. We might not be in love with you. We might not really care about you and what you have going on and the cross and what you're going to have to take upon your shoulders, but we really like what you can do for us in the here and the now. So we talked last week about those concepts. Jesus has performed a couple of miracles. He's walked on water. He's fed 5,000. He's done some things. Now today in our time together in John 6, 61 and 65, in this second week of this series, I want to talk this week about this message title and this idea of they don't and they never will. They don't and they never will. Will. If you'll remember last week, we talked from the idea they can't, but could they? This week, they don't, and they never will, with this one takeaway today being this, from John 6, 61 through 65. There are and will be people who just don't believe in us, and they never will. Jesus had it, and we will God's word says this in John chapter 6, verses 61 through 65. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who just don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time together in your word. 
We thank you for your son. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for our brothers and sisters all around the world, those that are gathered with us today. And Father, today I just pray for anybody that might be listening online, for anybody that might be in the room that feels far from you, that feels condemned, that feels alone, isolated, oppressed, depressed, afflicted, suffering. And I pray, Father, for them to receive by faith your grace, your mercy, in your love, we thank you for this opportunity to come together today to worship you, to learn from you, to gain a deeper understanding of you and your desire for us as your children. We praise you and we thank you now in Jesus' name. Joyously together. Amen. Amen. All right. Review of last week. We'll start right there, verse 60. They, could, they can't, but could they, right? Three things I want to review really quick. We already kind of encapsulated it. Don't doubt the Holy Spirit and get used to that gut feeling, right? He's got two miracles, many followers and disciples. That word disciple, if you remember from our time together last week, simply means one who within their own will has decided to find out, seek out, and appoint a teacher, so all these people that are present, they're saying, we are your disciples, Jesus, which means you're our teacher, which means we want to listen, we want to learn, we don't understand all of it, but we actually want to understand. Within their own free will, these have chosen, these disciples here in reference in these verses, have chosen to follow Jesus. Not just follow him, but say, I got a lot of learning to do, and you're the perfect person to get me learned up in here. And so two miracles, many followers, disciples. Unfortunately, they didn't want to learn and a Jesus that isn't following after what men want, but he's truly following the voice of his Father. Paul said in Galatians 1, am I now trying to, uh, to earn the approval of men or of God? Because I can't be God's servant if I want to appease people. Jesus knows in his heart he's fully God, right? Fully man, fully aware of sinful humanity, fully aware of what's inside of these people's hearts. If you'll go back four chapters into John chapter 2, God's word literally says Jesus, knowing what's inside of people's hearts, decided not to entrust himself to any of them. Think about the loneliness of that life that he lived on this earth. Think about the chief high priest that Hebrews 4 tells us can sympathize with us in all of our pains and sufferings because he went through them while he walked this earth on his way to die on the cross for us. That second thing, reviewing last week, don't make the mistake of wanting people that don't care to care, right? You, don't, you just drop coercion, drop nagging, stop being the one that always reaches out and just see what happens. Because I have a feeling you could save yourself a lot of money and time, and you don't even have to switch to Geico. <laughs> you can just switch to getting real and just being honest within yourself. Who really cares? Who's really there? Who's really been there? What have they really done? What's, what's the fruit of the labor? What's the work of the field? What is the writing on the wall really saying here? I love God because he doesn't make it that hard for us to understand. He's pretty simple. We overshoot it. We complicate it. God's like, hey, I gave you those five senses, right? 
You only got five. I didn't give you a million. See, taste, touch, feel right here. Smell, all that stuff. Five senses. There's one sense that this book, if you sum it all up, I would say this is God's great book of common sense. Why isn't there common sense amongst humanity anymore? They aren't open in the book. I tell people you can be, you can, you cannot even believe in God. Read the Bible, do what it says, and have the best life ever. I mean, it'd be a lonely life because you'd be missing a great connection that you could have. But if you would just adhere to the instructions, if you just look and glean understanding from the word in here, not the words of your buddies, not the words at the bar, not the words at the whatever, but the word of God. It'd be amazing what would happen. Number three, that last thing I want to review from last week, it's not always an issue with you. Acceptance and understanding are evidence of affection. If you feel rejected all the time, what does that tell you? How many people got a cell phone? You got two options when that thing goes off. Accept, reject, or you can do what I do. I throw it across the room so that way I don't even have to answer for it later. I thought it was a bomb. I didn't know. Things started vibrating. I just tossed it. I didn't put this, that's it. But how we're accepted, the time people take to truly understand us, tells us so much about if they really care. Right? Now moving into verses 61 and 65 for our time together today. Let's go with four practical tips from this text to keep our souls and sanity intact. I don't know about you, but I care about my soul. Do you? Like when I'm talking about the soul, I ain't talking about like the thing on your shoe. I'm talking about like this deep part of you that will live on forever either way. Heaven, gonna be good. Hell, sorry about you. You know, trust Jesus. Save yourself a lot of eternal suffering, okay? But when we talk about this soul now, when we talk about the context of our innermost being that will go on and live forever, we're talking about a compilation. We're talking about the totality of what is within us as people. We're talking about our faculty of understanding and where it meets our cardia or our seat of affections, our heart. We're talking about all of the innermost man and then beyond that even into the depths and the bowels of the being that God created for his glory. So now as we talk about this issue of our soul, when we talk about sanity, right, we have to also keep in mind, if we want to have a soul that's alive, and we want to have a mind that has peace, if we want sanity, 95% of it is achieved in one simple act. If you want sanity, step one, remove insane things from your life. Think about it. 
What's insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? How many of you guys got people in your life, relationships in your life, workplaces in your life, scenarios in your life where it's like, I feel like they just don't get it. This is the same thing, different day. How about this one? When you're talking to these people and you're wasting all these time with these people, all this energy that you could be spreading anywhere else, I'm not saying be done with people. I'm not saying cut them off. I'm not saying give them the cold shoulder, don't extend mercy. But let's think about this. If you have a three-hour-long conversation with somebody on Monday about all the things that they're not going to do, and then come Tuesday, they're telling you all the things that they did on Monday, and it's the same things they just got done saying for three hours on Monday they weren't going to do. You know what I call that three hours you'll never get back? Am I right? So now here Jesus is which I don't know about you, but I think that Jesus should be our example. I think that if he does it, it's a good idea that we should try to implement it. Yes? All these followers, Jesus, we want you to be the king. You're amazing. You're awesome. Jesus has withdrawn himself a couple times, got alone to the mountain. He doesn't want anything to do with this circus. He's like, y'all toxic, man i got to get away with the Father. Now, last week we learned in verse 60 that from the Jews complaining in the synagogue, it led to the disciples starting to complain. Now there's some murmuring and there's some complaining going on within the camp. These aren't the most intimate, by the way, of disciples, which you'll get to later on as the story unfolds. But these are like people that have come along the way. Jesus is like going full-blown carnival ride ferris wheel everybody's getting the ticket and they're waiting in line and they're just following and everybody's on the journey jesus is doing all this cool stuff now we learned in verse 60 last week that they're complaining the disciples these people that are following the people that are way back in the back of the line and really they're doing what anybody else would do i bet i hope he doesn't hear us right I hope he doesn't doesn't get back to him. Verse 60 told us, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Number one on your notes this week, the first of four practical tips from the text to keep our souls and sanity intact, response and inquiries. Response and inquiries. They're asking this question amongst themselves. They're talking to one another. They got the good old gaggle going on. Meet me at the convenience store. Let's talk about the weather. See what's going on. Verse 61. I love these words. Jesus knowing in himself. Ooh, that's a good word. He he knew I do. We say this word around here in the Greek. It means to perceive by any of your senses, to discover or to, to discern most relevantly and most applicable to a person, ready for this, that is actually paying attention. Have you guys ever slowed yourself down to really just kind of look around? 
How many of you guys have ever been for a drive? I grew up in Warren County. I've been here basically my whole life outside of some military stuff. But I, I've been here my whole life. And it's crazy sometimes because I'll be on the road and I'll be like, I never even saw that house here before. Right? Oh, there's a dude peeing in his front yard. Hey, welcome to Warrington. Fit right in. Right? How many of you guys would agree that when we live with our eyes open, we see things that we normally can't? If we stop, if we still, if we slow. Most importantly, in Psalm 46:10, God's word says, be still and then you'll know I'm the Lord. Wow. Knowing he's the Lord follows us taking time, making time, and being intentional in stillness and surrender. To be able to slow ourselves, to be able to see it like that. He knows in himself now. He's perceived with his senses. He's discerned through the Spirit. And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining, this is a good word for the day, gaguzo. Tomorrow at work, just roll up to somebody like, y'all gaguzoing over here? What you got going on? Murmuring, complaining. Literally, by its very context in the original language, in the Greek here, it's speaking of those who confer secretly together and discontentedly and unheartingly complain. You know what else they call this? Poison for thine soul. Not anything good coming of it, is it? Not anything good coming. Doesn't seem edifying. Doesn't seem encouraging. Doesn't seem like we're spurring each other further. Doesn't seem like we're encouraging one another even all the more as the day draws near. Doesn't seem like anything good happening here. So here, the disciples, the followers of Jesus are having these secret conversations, conferring together, complaining, whining, murmuring, doing all this stuff, and at the root of it, they're discontent. Why are they discontent? They've got everything. They've got Christ. They just had a really good dinner on Jesus, right? Why, why are they complaining? Remember last week what we talked about? The discontentment of the Jews spread to the disciples. Jesus has already corrected the Jewish folk in the synagogue for their complaining, for their murmuring. He's already said, stop complaining to them. He's already unfolded it all to them. Now, because what Paul says is true in Corinthians, where he says, hey, a little yeast can ruin the whole dough, right? Because of the reality of this, the totality that now exists is toxicity. How many of you guys like having a safe place? Like having a safe place? You like going home to peace? If you didn't shake your head yes, let's talk. Please. How many of you guys have ever had to uh, go somewhere where it's just not going to be peaceful? And don't say, yeah, when you talk with your loud mouth. I get it.
how many of you guys are, are, are uh, peacekeepers? Be honest. Don't want to make anybody mad. Don't want to really ruffle the boat. Don't want to rock. Raise your hand. Just tell the truth. Shame the devil. You're a peacekeeper. Just play it cool, man. Politically correct. We don't want to offend. Careful, careful, careful. I think it, but I don't want to say it. Maybe if somebody else says it, I'll just raise my hand and say, I agree. Great, perfect. How many of you guys are peacemakers? Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are those that are the peacemakers, right? Raise your hand if you're a peacemaker. Like, if it ain't there, I'm making it happen. I'll make it rain peace in that place. I will, I, I, I'll go wall to wall and not, I will. You, you know what you got to do sometimes really seriously? When stuff gets so stupid, you have to be willing to get stupider. I'm not joking. You think I am. You ever walk in a room where everything's out of control? You got to assess it really quick and then get really, really, really out of control and you'll gain control. You don't believe me? Watch the media right now. Who's got control? The loud, evil ones. The all bark, no bite. And we got the good old silent majority. The peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are good. There's nothing wrong with being a peacekeeper. People choose to be peacekeepers for various reasons. But sometimes you have to make peace because it's just not going to be there. Jesus now, practically in real time, is getting ready to make some peace. And in doing so, he's going to push people away. Yes, Jesus pushed people away. Jesus did like karate kid type stuff. Like he was like Miyagi and up on people, all right? We ain't having it. So there's some disgruntle, some some discontentment, some complaining going on. Does this offend you? I know you're complaining. I understand. You don't even have to say it, admit it. Does this bother you? Is this the one you're going to get hung up on? Well, because verse 62, well, what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You think this is big ticket. Wait till all of this unfolds. You, You think it's a big deal to talk about my body and my blood and that ruffles your feathers? eating my flesh and drinking my... You you think that's a big deal? Wait till you see that freaking vacuum that Hoover set off from up in the sky and suck me back up where I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father. Response and inquiries, verses 61 and 62. The second practical tip, result in ensuring, verse 63... He goes on and he says, The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. So he says here, there are results. The Spirit equals life. Right? Didn't Jesus say that in John 10, 10? I've come to give you life and life in abundance. Do you know pneuma when we're talking about spirit? It literally means breath of life. Right? It's literally speaking of a real, not, not like, like life as people know it or they think they know it. 
I'm talking about like real life, real freedom, real forgiveness, real redemption, real grace, real mercy, real healing, real transformation, real peace. Not that stuff where somebody says, hey, how you doing? And you're like, I'm thinking about blowing myself up or I hope I spontaneously combust, but I'm just fine. I'm talking about like the real deal. Jesus is like results, right? Spirit equals life. What does he say? The flesh ain't going to help you at all here. So spirit equals life. Flesh equals no help at all. How many people have found out lately that their flesh can get in their way? Does that happen? Yes? People are like, so you're a police officer now. I say, no, I'm, I'm just a roadside pastor. I don't know what happened. We were having this back roads conversation. All of a sudden, I was doing 95 and a 45. I don't know. Flesh gets in the way, doesn't it? What we want gets in the way, doesn't it? Our desires, our cravings, our appetite, the Bible says actually wars against God. Do you know what flesh means in the Greek? Sarks. That which is in natural opposition to God. Without intentionally, purposefully pressing into the spirit of God, I wake up opposed to God. Think about that. That which is naturally opposed to God. He's going to insure us with something, though. He, he, he says, hey, the Spirit's life. You can have as much life as you want, man. Life, life in abundance. But by the way, on your journey, in your journey, there's going to be this thing that gets in your way, and it's going to be, by the way, you. You'll get in your way. Jesus ensures the disciples on this day and us today that his spoken words are spirit and they are life. He says, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Verse 63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Why don't I have joy? Why don't I have peace? Why don't I feel forgiven? Why don't I feel close to the Father? Why is my life a mess? Why is there chaos? Why is there strife? Why is there struggling? Have you been here? I mean, like, been here. Not like, huh? New version app. Got my verse of the day in. Yeehaw! Check the Jesus box. Doesn't the word of God tell us in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what God's perfect and pleasing will is. How many people have ever renewed something in 10 seconds? Anybody? I barely get my right sock on in 10 seconds. My left one, well, that one's like six seconds fast. Let's think about this. Jesus is talking to people that have decided to follow him, but they're not following him. 
They're not listening to him. You're our teacher, yet we don't want to accept, right? Verse 60, we don't really want to learn. We don't really want to listen. We just want to feel better. We want appeasement without atonement, and that just doesn't work. He moves on from the response and inquiries in verse 61 and 62, the result in the ensuring in verse 63, into the reality and intuition in verse 64. God's word says this, but there are some among you who don't believe. Remember what we're talking about, they don't and they never will. There are and will be people who don't believe in us and they never will. Jesus had it and we will too, our takeaway, right? He says, there are some among you who don't believe, parentheses, for Jesus knew, there that word is again, I do, he perceived, he picked up upon it within his senses from the beginning, those who would not believe in the one who would betray him. Wow! Brothers and sisters, Romans 8, 11 tells us that the very same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave lives in us. Is that a myth, fable, or fact? truth, right? We go to the Word of God. It's infallible. God's Word says that. If God's Word says that, and I believe it's true, I receive that by faith, and I say, okay, the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave lives in me. So the same discernment Jesus had, I'm able to have. Is that right? Think about this and, and realize how spoiled you are. We have access to so much more than Jesus ever did. We got all these pages. We've got his life. We've got his death. We've got his resurrection. We've got his example. We've even gotten so fancy that the Bible has already highlighted stuff for us in red. We have access to all of this. Most importantly, we have access to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need to include discernment to be able to discern what is going on and to be able to know that we don't need to operate in fear, not in anxiety, because God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a sound mind, love, and power, right? So when I'm saying this, I ain't saying, let's get all paranoid and conspiracy theory about everything that's going on. I'm saying, no, God will let you see it so you can see it to be able to deal with it so it doesn't deal with you. In the book of James, James wrote very matter-of-factly, he says, not to the one who knows to do good and they don't do it, it's sin. You say, what do you mean, know to do good? Does that mean I gotta go pay for a stranger to have a hotel room? Does this mean I gotta take a hot meal to somebody? I don't know. It could be anything under the sun. You know to do it and it's good and you don't do it, it's sin. What does good mean? Good means praiseworthy, excellent, honoring in my life. Can I tell you what's not honoring in your life? Hanging out with people that continuously push you down, pull you apart, beat you down, beat you up, and really aren't lifting you up in the spirit. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus here now, filled with the Spirit of God, he is the Son of God, fully man, fully God in the flesh, is moving into the storyline, and now he's getting to the point because he knows people won't believe in him. Reality and intuition, I want you to think about this statement. Proximity doesn't equal intimacy. Proximity doesn't equal intimacy. As a matter of fact, 
Sometimes you got to let the enemy real close to see what's going on. You, you ever have your parents or somebody that love you say something like this? That ain't your friend. They don't care. But you care a lot about them, don't you? And you're the one doing all the caring and all the sharing. And pretty soon, it'll be you that's doing all the swearing. Because you get fed up. You'll get exhausted. You'll get tired. You'll get weary. And by great design, because God allows us to get there so that we can see that we weren't relying on his grace and we weren't trusting in our discernment along the way. Why are we worn out? Why are we tired? Why are we exhausted? Because we're doing all the work and God isn't doing any of it. We're not letting him lift the load. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy, laden, and burdened. Jesus said, I will give you rest. And everybody realizes that life really isn't supposed to be that hard, right? You get that, right? There will be trials and tribulations. Yeah, sure. Hey. Welcome to it. But doesn't he say that we can have peace right in the middle of it because we know that Jesus has overcome this world? Where's our hope anchor? What's our firm footing here? Jesus now, knowing what's happening, he's starting to approach this situation. There's complaining going on. Hey, y'all offended? That's a good word for our new age, isn't it? Offended. I always like to say this to people. Do you mean to tell me he puts you in a state of panic? Are you alarmed? Now we have the feelings police all over. Oh, that hurt my feelings. You hurt my feelings. Has anybody seen communication shift? Have you watched this happen? Right? My, my wife the other day got a full-blown, out-of-control text. I mean, it was out of control. Out of control. She's like, you're not even going to believe this. She reads it. I'm like, that's just people right now. <laughs> that's, just, that's what I get 20 times a day. That's people. That's the way people are now. Divided, damaged, depressed, destroyed, crushed, perplexed, and just accepting miserableness. Have fun with that. I'm going to be over here with Jesus. I will laugh at you, though, from a distance. Because if you think that one hurts your feelings, brother, sister, whoo, you might want to take a deep breath in and hold it for four days. Mm, because this life isn't easy. Proximity doesn't always equal intimacy, and a want without follow-through will not yield any re result. Jesus knew that these people wouldn't believe. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew, he knew, he knew. How did he know? Why did he know? Where did he know? Where did he go to get what he knew? He had the Holy Spirit. 
Remember last week, what did we say in the first week setting this up? Learn to trust your senses. Learn to trust the sixth sense, the gut feeling. I like when people always say, they, they call it something. Something told me I shouldn't. That was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit, right? Something told me I should have. Something told me I shouldn't. Now he concludes in verse 65. He's went from response and inquiries, verses 61 and 62, keeping your soul and sanity intact, result in, result in ensuring in verse 63, reality and intuition in verse 64. Now a reminder and some instilling. Really quick, let's think about the word instilling. What this actually means to instill something in someone. That takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Yes? When we look at the literal definition of instilling, please zoom in and think about this. We're speaking of a gradual but firmly established an idea, attitude, especially a desirable one in a person's mind. Gradual but firm in time. Jesus is now wanting to instill something and instilling it, he's going to give a reminder. I call it a reminder because he's already said these same things in verse 44 with these same people present. The only difference is he was addressing a different group of people. In verse 44, he was addressing the Jews when they were complaining. In 43, he says, knock it off, wino. In verse 44, he says, nobody can come to me unless the Father leads him. Now listen what we get here in verse 65. Same people have been present for both interactions, both conversations. Jesus is like, I'm going to lay it out here again just so you know. Verse 65, this is why I told you. This is why I told you. Wait a minute, you were addressing the Jews. You, 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 you were in the synagogue, but you were mad at the Jews. Let's not forget what the Bible says. Jesus knows everyone that won't believe. Do you think Jesus shows partiality? You think he's like, oh, they're from Israel. They're really important. Yeah. Oh, man, they're, they're, wait a minute, they're not from, could it be Right City? And all God's people say, there's a soul that needs to be saved. Look, we're in Truesdale. It's like middle ground. It's like, where's the Civil War going to happen? Truesdale. <laughs> the only difference, Rod City going to be fighting with each other on the way. They ain't going to know what they're doing. They'll have each other beat up halfway down the rest area, you know. If you're from Wright City, I'm sorry. Not about my comment, but that you're from Wright City. <laughs> I kid. I love Wright City. Wright City in my heart forever. Okay. Reminder and instilling. He's already said this. Jesus has already said this. He's saying it again. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Why did I say this? Because some will never believe. You'll just never get it. 
and you won't get it because God doesn't want you to get it. You won't get it because you're getting it everywhere else. Everything else is your God. Everyone else is your God. You're listening to everything. You're taking anything in your mind that you can without doing any research, without any fact checks, without putting appropriate boundaries and guardrails on your heart, your mind. When you know Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. We know that the Bible says, for a man thinketh, he is. Our mind is important. Our heart is important. What we think about is very important. And so therefore, I don't know about you, but I think it would behoove us to be careful what we're allowing to be gradual, but then become firm in time. As I got to looking at this scripture, as I got to thinking about instilling, as I got to thinking about Jesus and his time on this earth, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, him returning again one day, I started to think about this gradual process of instilling something in someone. I, I thought about how firm these resolves can be, and we don't even notice it sometimes, do we? Sometimes it's just a little seed every day. I couldn't help but to think of the thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people that have been psychologically abused mentally violated, verbally, literally wounded. And it wasn't the first time, it wasn't the second time, but maybe it was on the millionth time that they heard, you're not good enough, that they actually started to believe they weren't good enough. And maybe it was on, not the first time, maybe not the fifth time, maybe the 15, maybe not even the 1500th time, maybe it was 1501 when they decided they were gonna compromise their morals and go down that other road. You know the story of Samson and Delilah, right? What's she keep doing? Nagging him. What's the devil going to keep doing with all of us? Nagging us. What are them people that ain't good for us going to keep doing? They're going to keep nagging us because they want their way. They want their will force upon us. They want us to strip down. They want us to bow down. They want us to be like Nebuchadnezzar did in the old times and let's worship this false God. But we are a people of God. We are established by God. We were made by God to glorify God and God gave his son so that the people of God could know the pardoning of God and the propitiation of God that was sent on a cross that God sent his son to die on so that we can be firmly established, deeply anchored and rooted in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit that when persecution should arise, pressure should arise, calamity, chaos, the noise of this life should arise, that we while everybody else is sinking on sand, built and established on a solid foundation, we will remain. It's gradual, and it's firm when it sets up. How many of you guys ever do concrete? Anybody ever do concrete? Raise your hand if you're like, no, I call somebody to do that for me. It does something, I don't know what it does. I haven't figured out, chemicals in there, and it just, I don't know, gets heavy all of a sudden. My feet are stuck, I don't know. I want us to think about this word instilling as we get ready to come to a time of communion here in just a couple minutes. Gradual but firm. 
attitudes in our minds, ideas in our minds, hopefully a desirable one. What are we doing with our kids, parents? We're trying to teach them something, aren't we? We're trying to give them some kind of values, aren't we? We're trying to prepare them for the life and the journey ahead of them, aren't we? Was Rome built in a day? It wasn't, was it? But on the right day, it looked like it was built in a day to the person that didn't do any building. I can't tell you how many people in almost 10 years I've had the privilege of pastoring, meeting with, counseling, talking to And they want certain things. I want this, and I want that, and I don't want this, and I don't want that. And it's like that big VH1 show. Where are they now? You said you wanted a relationship with God. I tell my boys this every day. I tell many people this every day. Be careful what you ask for because sometimes you're going to get angry when you get what you thought you wanted. And you can't be mad when you got what you wanted. I don't know about you, but I came here for forgiveness today. I came here for grace today. I came here for mercy today. I came here for healing today. I came here to receive God's love today. I came to be reminded and encouraged and inspired that God is with me and if he is against, if he is with me and if he is for me, nothing and nobody can stand against me. I came to be reminded that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. How about you? I came to be reminded that I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and I'm not beneath. I came to be reminded that the world doesn't have me pressed, shaken, shook up. My hope ain't anchored in any of that stuff. My hope is anchored in Christ and Christ alone. I came to be reminded that one day a trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I came to be reminded today that my Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding and mediating on my behalf right now. I came to be reminded that God has dispatched angels all around me. He is taking care of things that I don't even have no clue of right now. And all I need to do is do what Exodus 14, 14 says and be still and know that he's fighting for me now's the time where we came to be reminded of the main event the cross of Calvary he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ what does that mean it means Romans 3.23 is true all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is true. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.9 is true. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave on the third day. Then you will be saved. And more importantly, what we know to be true is Philippians 2, when Paul tells us, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will profess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For some people, this is sorrow for us it's a celebration man it's our king overcoming death 
It's the power of sin being lifted off our shoulders. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Sickness has been defeated. Suffering has been defeated. Darkness is defeated. Discouragement is defeated. Defeat's been defeated. Depression's been defeated. Oppression's been defeated. All of it has been defeated in the resurrection of Christ. But before he rose, he gave his life. That's a lofty fine, isn't it? I want you to think now, as Clayton gets ready to lead us in this time of communion, how amazing is it to truly think of what Jesus actually did for us? Perfect, spotless, sinless. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, the person of God displayed amongst flesh so that the Word of God could walk amongst men. And now in real time, he's hanging on a cross. But you don't know what I've done. No, if you're still looking at it like that, home slice, you don't know what he did. But, but you don't understand, I've got drugs, I don't care. You don't understand, I've got sexual immorality, I don't care. You don't understand, I got lust, I got greed, I got anger, I got hate, I got bitterness, I got this, this, this. I don't care. The Bible says we all got that. You know what Jesus did for all of that? He done got gotten on the cross and got up again on the third day. And now he's coming back to get us all that understand what we got in him. Don't let that devil man lie to you any longer. You break up with the shackles of condemnation right now. You leave them at the feet of Jesus Christ as Clayton leads us now in communion. You remember, that's what this is for, a remembrance. Christ died on the cross for me. And Christ resurrected from the grave. And Christ is ruling and Christ is reigning and Christ will return. And on that day, that glorious day, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more disease, none of it, all good forevermore because of Jesus. With that, we've got Clayton and the only team to stay in Missouri, the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs>